Hello everyone! Before we get today's episode going, I have a very special announcement to make. In case you didn't know, the person that helps me out with running this podcast, Tipsy J Hearts, she is slowly but surely developing her own independent animated show, The Evil Little Thing. If you've ever seen this little goat anywhere, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're trying to really make this a reality, and of course... There's only so much that a handful of people can do, so we want to make sure that we can secure some funds so we can truly get a crew together and truly make this series special. And I should know, I'm part of that crew. I helped write the pilot episode and probably subsequent episodes as well. So, in order to make sure that we can make this show a reality, we're going to be hopping on the Cesspool Livestream. Cesspool Livestream is a incredible collective of artists and voice actors that, you know, for as low as $5, you can have a request for a drawing or a voice acting request of some sort, which I think you would absolutely love. May 6th and 7th, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can hop on in with a cool collective of incredible artists, and we can just have a fun blast while trying to reach our goal of $1,000 so that we can get this pilot off the ground and we can hopefully make this series a reality. I've been able to tune into a couple of the cesspool live streams, and trust me when I say you want to be there. If nothing else, just to see the chaos that is going to ensue. There will be chaos, I promise you that. So once again, May 6th and 7th, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on each day. If you go to twitch.tv slash arcskink, link will be in the description below, I got you. You can see when we go live and we can have a fun time making this pilot a reality. I know that this pilot is very special to Tipsy and it's very special to me as well, but it's more special for Tipsy, I can tell you that right now. So I really want to help her get this off the ground. So any love and support you guys can give, or even just basically spreading the word out, would be greatly appreciated. So once again, May 6th and 7th, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, come join us for the Cesspool live stream to help make the evil little thing a reality. Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wanting the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and for today's episode, we're going deep into the archives to provide you an outstanding artist brewing up an intriguing story on all fronts. Today's guest is Samuel Wilkinson, the creative lead behind the Obsidian Archives, a dark fantasy animated anthology TTRPG-like series. Samuel was gracious enough to introduce me to his work, and after getting a chance to look over it, I knew I had to have Samuel on, and I sincerely hope you guys enjoy the conversation that we had about this like really incredible and intriguing idea that, like I said, Samuel is certainly brewing up. If you enjoy the guest, make sure you support him in all the links down in the description below, especially the YouTube channel. They just crossed over the 1,000 subscriber mark, and I think... He would greatly appreciate it if we add a few more to that number, especially from the, the Postmodern Art Podcast crew, you know? 
If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Leave five stars wherever you can. I see that stuff, and I cannot get enough of them. If you want to go even further with that support, maybe you should consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash PMAP. There, for as little as $1 a month, you can get behind-the-scenes access, early access to episodes coming up soon, and some bonus episodes, including an incredible one brewing up really, really soon. I promise. And hey, look, if all you just want is a calm, cool, casual place to where you can talk to incredible artists, maybe even some of the guests, and truly get an opportunity to grow as a community, maybe you should consider joining our Discord server, the Artist Sanctuary. Like I've said many times before on this podcast, the group that we have cultivated there has been absolutely outstanding, and I enjoy interacting with them every opportunity that I can get, seeing the incredible art and such, and I know you would be a wonderful addition to that crew today. But now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. Actually, I have a quick question about the uh, the interview in general. So, mm-hmm. is, is it is it like a softball? Is it more interrogation? Is it more like like what kind of I like light style is it? Uh, first off, I like how you phrase that because I never heard either softball or interrogation when it comes to this stuff. Uh, the way I always tell the guests, it's probably gonna be more softball esque or whatnot. Like uh, the way I like to call, talk about it is for guests. Think of this as nothing more than a calm, cool, casual conversation where you get to talk about what you love, your passion, stuff. What like like go all in and stuff like that. I'm not gonna be like you know hard hardcore like. So you mean to tell me that these characters are absolutely like original? Like you didn't steal these from some other concept? No, I'll be like you know. Hey, where'd you come up with these characters? These seem like fun characters or whatnot. Where did the the idea of Obsidian Archives come from in the first place or whatnot? You know, the, like, casual, like, information more than anything else. Of course, of course. Uh, question. So mm-hmm. when you when you do these interviews, is it like, um... I'm trying try to think. So, so is it like a, a podcast format, or is it like a like a like a visual visual format? Are you mostly on YouTube? I am on like I am on YouTube. I do have the audio platforms or whatnot, but I have YouTube mainly so that like if if it's okay with you uh, for the video version, if I can include like some of the elements of your art for people that may have not heard of you beforehand or whatnot, they see that visual and they'd be like, oh, that looks cool. Let me look. Let me you know look up more. Like just getting like the glances of it. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, Samuel, before we really get going, I must ask the icebreaker question of the podcast, if I may. Let's say you get to go to a desert island on your own, of course. It is just you, alone with your thoughts. You get to kick back, relax, breathe. You get to truly enjoy yourself for a little bit. With accommodations, you're not stranded on this island. It's, it's, it's a little vacation, you know, different scenery more than Oh, so, so you, you mean like an episode of Secession. Okay. Go on, go on. <laughs> Essentially, in a way. Yeah, yeah, okay. To... to to make sure you don't go completely insane on this island, to, to help, you know, whatever what mentality you want on this island, you can bring one piece of media or one piece of art with you. Again, to help with whatever headspace you want on your own little private paradise. If given this opportunity, what would that one piece be? Okay, does games fun like fall under media? Ga- or games does it absolutely not? fall under media and art. Okay, if I it was if I was stuck in a game and I only had one game and let's say I was thinking about min maxing how much time I could use it to like mentally you know keep me sane, mm-hmm. it would probably be Eve Online. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Is there any, like do you have a personal like affinity or asphyxiation with that game, or is it one of those like you you've wanted to have time with that game or whatnot? Like, what is it about Eve that makes that the immediate choice? 
What makes Eve the immediate choice is mostly the fact that it's there's a lot of different things that you can do in it and it runs on like an actual like economy with the players and everything. And I just like seeing big number go up basically. <laughs> that is true. I, I've not personally, I've only heard about Eve online here and there whatnot, but I completely understand that like the community behind Eve online is absolutely ridiculous. Like they are truly dedicated people in that community. Oh, absolutely. There's also like a lot of like, um, like retired people, army vets, etc. Like a real like, um, you know, a wide swath of like different demographics. Absolutely. I mean, like especially just like the obviously the fancy element or whatnot, but also like with how much tactic can go into like something to where I, I remember like seeing what was it like some like raid that took like at least a full month or something like that. I'm sure that's probably like softball numbers at the very least. But like I've heard like again just how both fun but also how tactical eve online can get it's it, it's i can only imagine how ridiculous it is it, yeah it's definitely um what it is it's a bunch of icelandic people you know putting their heads together in terms of like science and thinking okay how would an actual you know like tactical like fighting go down in space and they kind of treat it like a like almost like naval warfare a lot mm, of it is okay yeah i mean like you, you could have a big ship but you're going to become a big target and if your turrets are big as well they're going to be slower to turn around and if you have something small like a like a like a fly or a little frigate it's, it's going to like just circle that big ship and it's going to be like a tortoise on its back basically but also with that smaller you know uh, ship or whatnot you're also like you know lower health so it's like you know you have to be careful because of maneuvering and like obviously taking less hits i mean name of the game obviously <laughs> oh yeah obviously yeah it's all it's all about distance and and um traversal there's a load of like science stuff on their excel spreadsheets about okay so what kind of momentum is this ship going uh, is it going at this angle it's like your goal is to not go at anything straight on but to just constantly like spiral around to maximize um traversal speed basically Oh, there you go. There you go. But nevertheless, Eve Online, that is your answer. You're locking that in. Yep. All right. That, that, that's the case. I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Nathan Ragland. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash PMAP. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostmodArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> he is the creative lead behind a dark fantasy animated anthology TTRPG-like series of an evil prince and an imp princess. Welcome to the podcast, Samuel Wilkinson of the Obsidian Archives. Oh, thank you so much. So glad to be here. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the opportunity to reach out to me in the first place to get me interested uh, in your stuff. Because I know whenever you messaged me, just even just glancing at it in the first place, I could tell there was something different about what you were presenting. And I was I was in, immediately intrigued with it. So thank you for taking the time to, to get your name out there more than anything else. Oh, thank you. It really means a lot for you to like uh, say that. I always try to like you know reinvent the wheel and think outside the box when it comes to presentation and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you're doing uh, at least a good step in the right direction. But before I really divulge into what you're doing to present yourself nowadays, I want to go back just a little bit, if I may, and learn more or less the origin story of Samuel. What got you interested in art and animation in the first place? Okay, so what got me into art and animation was the moment I was finally out in the field on my digital film production studies and, like, the cold was, like, hitting my neck and my back really badly. And it got to the point where I was like, 
ah, oh, shit, I'm not cut out for field work. Mm. <laughs> That's a good start. That's a good start. Um, when it comes to like actual like animation stuff, I got heavily involved in the Gary's Mod slash SFM community. Ah, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, there, I, I met a lot of good friends, but I also like uh, met a lot of people that were like um, a little bit like toxic or whatever. Like that community has a lot of crazy crazy stuff going on it's like here's the thing in, in most normal communities people would like have legitimate grievances on like actual you know serious like things that it's oh yeah yeah that makes sense of course someone would have a schism but but in gary's mod it's like people would have these personas and then people would start making comics of them killing each other's personas it's oh. it's wild it's loaded on like deviantart but regardless, basically, at a certain point, after I released my uh, magnum opus of um, Black Dust, I had to kind of change gears and strategy. Because even though the film itself won an award on, like, Reddit, like, from the uh, moderator staff and everything, I feel it was at that point I kind of realized that SFM kind of felt like a dead end in certain regards. And I decided I was going to kind of up myself from uh, a directing role to more of a of a producer like showrunner kind of role mm -hmm. that way i could have it made i could like write everything up and i could kind of like offload the work to hired um animators and voice actors basically and that's kind of how i got into like the animation scene mm -hmm. you know that's that's fair and that's understandable i mean even then like i want i do want to divulge a little bit when it comes to that gary's monster just for a little bit because i can only imagine like especially if you were like first trying to get into like filmmaking stuff like that, just having that resource of Gary's mom in the first place, like, especially with how easy it is to access and like, once you figure out how to maneuver it, like especially mm -hmm. with, like that source engine or whatnot, that had to be like just a creative gold mine, at least starting out trying to get that stuff to, to, to work. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's literally, you're taking like an, like an engine that it's kind of like a game, but it's also kind of freeform, but it has like certain limitations. A lot of people had to get very creative. Like I remember there was a time where people would have to like go frame by frame taking like images in the hopes that they can make something that at least resembles animation. Mm -hmm. And because 90% of them are like ragdolls, here's the thing, you accidentally freeze, like unfreeze the wrong spot and the whole model just drops down to the ground because of gravity yep. and you have to awkwardly lift it back up. It's uh. It was definitely very uh, tedious in the Gary's Mod era, I can assure you. It's like at some moments it just becomes like stop motion animation. You have to make sure you get the it, it just right. If you get it ever so slightly wrong, you have to like redo the entire scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's um, it's definitely like painful, especially if you're like a teenager and you have a very low attention span. It's mm -hmm. like it's not it's definitely not pleasant. There's a there's a YouTuber that I still watch these days, gaming YouTuber. I don't know if you ever heard of him called the Russian Badger. Does that name even ring a bell? It does not, I'm afraid. That's that's fine, that's fine. It's one of those he does, uh, he, he started off with, like, uh, Rainbow Six, well, not start off, but, like, he got big with, like, Rainbow Six Siege, and he does, like, random stuff in there. But one of the unique do things that he does is he uses the Source Engine and, like, a motion capture suit to, like, do, like, bits that are playing, that play out with, like, among him and his friends or whatnot. And I've uh, seen, <laughs> I've seen other people do that. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. He, I, I, I actually dropped a gig with, um, 
some 3D animators. Like, it was meant to be an avenue, but it kind of went um, sideways. I was meant to make a sequel, mm. but they, they were really into motion capture. Um, they're, they're called Fluid Script Production. They're really, like, great guys. They're, they're really, like, trying to, like... You, you know when I said it was a dead end? Like, yep. imagine they've hit bedrock and they're, and they're, like, getting, like, like diamond lasers and they're, like, trying to dig beneath that. Like, they're still, <laughs> they're still going. I, mean, I, I literally fair. gave him a connect. I literally, like, he said, oh, I'm doing motion, motion capturing, but I need this. I was like, oh, sure thing. So, basically, I went in, uh, took the old... Xbox 360 Connect, and I've like shipped it over to America just so he could have like the second one to like kind of take his side on, and he's been using it ever since. I'm very proud go. of him. There you go. That sounds incredible to hear more than anything else. I back to what I was saying. Like, like I can only imagine like having you know the the creative goldmine like that, and having like the resources like that. Um, back to what I was talking about with uh with Badger or whatnot. Like what he the way that he's shown like a I think a YouTube short or whatnot, how he used the source engine for like some of the bits or whatnot. Especially when it comes to like if he needs like a buy to flop or whatnot. Um, he showed that like you could either like he either do a frame by frame stop motion of it and it looks janky as all get out or he could fall using the motion capture shoot several different times but he gets like headaches and eggs all the time because he's flopping down or whatnot until he realized that like using the source engine to get like certain physics hidden up against like the player model to have it like launch or whatnot like it worked for like what he was working on so i mean like even with what you're talking about like even if the people that are at that bedrock or whatnot the fact that they're still like chugging along and trying to see if they can find like the the tiniest of diamond underneath all that stuff like that it's got to be at least commendable at the end of the day absolutely like they they did this like movie about like overwatch or whatever but like Mm. it it was a a big like creative collaboration and i definitely feel for like all the like like dynamics and like the cinematography and stuff and i was very honored to be like kind of recruited for a while like after the release of black dust because it was like oh my god this black dust feels like i mean like the fact that because here's the thing, their group is like a multi-animator project and it's a bit, um, I, I don't know like the full in and outs of how they did their operation, but when I did Black Dust, it was literally just me, the assets and a few hired voice actors and composers. Okay. So like, I had to like wake up, go in and animate like, like one, two or three shots I would think, okay, what's the most expressive shot I could do? And every shot was expressive shot, expressive shot. It's like nothing, there, there wasn't a stale shot at all. It was like, it was like they were all on Coke. All, mm-hmm. Everything was on Coke, <laughs> all right? Uh, to some people, that was also kind of a detriment. I think I might, like looking back, I might have moved the camera a little too much. It mm. was almost like a, like a roller coaster. But um, in in terms of just having having nothing remain stagnant, I think it was a very interesting goal. And then the funny thing happened. Uh, it turned out that I set the render settings way too high than it needed to be. So mm. while I would spend half the day waiting for it to render, there could have been like more output time. Yeah. So that's I mean, kind of wild. I mean, at this point, especially now, you know, you live and you learn. I mean, obviously, you've learned and you're trying to get away from that. <laughs> yeah. I. I I just, I'm just curious now because you mentioned at least a good couple of times this this Black Dust film. I don't think I even heard of it or whatnot. If you would like to, I'd like to indulge a little bit on that. What exactly was that film and how how did that concept even come to you in the first place? Okay, so 
the idea was originally I worked on a series called Blue Spy, which then made a mm-hmm. spin-off called um, Big City Chronicles, which was about a, a deranged uh, libertarian mayor guy named um, Sekrios, who was he, he was just completely like deranged. And like the first episode was literally him purchasing a tank when he was meant to be buying a car or whatever, and he gets like cooked, like kind of like caught up in the underground like tank warfare scene where people are like having tournaments and shit. But it was meant to be an antagonist uh, from the US government known as um, Agent Will Adams, who is, he's kind of like that, like straight laced, oh, I'm enforcing the law of my nation. It is important. It's for the glory or whatever, you know, very, you know, straight, straight laced and everything. Uh, But Black Dust kind of became its own thing where as a, a vicious like drug epidemic where this like eldritch compound that turns people into shadow demons is like being like like peddled in the streets and all that mm-hmm. and it's up for this um special agent who for some reason is being hired by the fucking president to like go in <laughs> and stop this epidemic because it would cause an outbreak and like you know entire civilization would like fall apart and all that um and and the story is this guy, Agent Will Adams, who is literally like half shadow demon or whatever, hunting down other shadow demons. And it kind of becomes this like dark noir spy drama with a lot of um, a lot of really crazy plot lines. The first movie was literally uh, an angry mafioso who is trying to like track down vials of black dust. But he's also been hired by a shady entity to like hunt down a scientist that has been experimenting with, with the substance to try and find a cure and it becomes this um agents versus shadow demons versus uh crime mob families it's really crazy it sounds crazy <laughs> also the president m- might have been played by someone who who does a really good kevin spacey impression until things went belly side up mm. I I wonder why in particular it would cause such a riff like that. Anyways, let's move on from that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a bad timing, really bad timing. Horrible timing. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm like, even just like that little bit that you were describing right there, just like the the series, it sounds like, again, just insane what you were like putting forward, like this, this concept or whatnot. Yeah, well, here's it. when you're like a lone creator, just and you have the means to do such a thing, you you can just go whole ham, even if it's the most ill-advised thing ever. And I think I think the world kind of needs that in a weird way. You know what? Compared to what like some of the the creators that I watch or whatnot, and some of the the people out there, whatnot. Honestly, I agree. We need more chaos in this world. Um... <laughs> <laughs> True. Absolutely. And I will say when it comes to the, the movie Black Dust, the fact that it won an award on on Reddit, as a fellow award-winning filmmaker myself, I commend you for, for getting to that pinnacle. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh. But um, I, I, I just have to say, like, it's incredible to hear, like, obviously the, the start Dean initially had with this kind of stuff or whatnot and how you got uh, – how it more or less like started you on like a creative path. I have to know, like when did it go from just like a general love for like art and media to a passion and then potentially making it your career, especially when it comes to the animated aspect. Well, it's a thing. Whenever I write a book, um, it, I would usually get very into it for like the first like few weeks and then it completely like just fizzles up and like, like kind of dies basically. Mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's like, 
sometimes I have this sense of like horse before carriage or whatever, where I would write it and I'm like, dude, I wouldn't even know what to do with this thing once it is written. You know what I mean? Let alone having it, you know, be written. So effectively, I switched gears to a, a medium that would allow me to express myself on a, on a narrative level while also giving me a certain level of freedom to like switch my brain on and off without having to like go on perma focus. Uh, Obsidian Archives, I think, really like like nailed it home for me in that um, work balance, basically. Absolutely, I can only imagine that. And I mean, obviously, we danced around it a little bit, but I just want to jump right in when ta- talking about just the Obsidian Archives in the first place. Um, once again, that was the thing that more or less like hooked me onto you whenever you introduced me to yourself. That's like obviously the main thing you're, you're trying to promote more than anything else. So, what exactly? No, sorry, let's go back even a, a little bit further. What inspired you to create the Obsidian Archives? I've always toyed around with the idea of designing uh, a somewhat villainous uh, faction for a fantasy universe. I thought the nation of Obsidia, you know, just have it be this big, bad, scary, um, like, force that, like, a group of brave heroes would have to, like, fight against but also kind of make it a little bit like nuanced and a little bit introspective of um, governmental structures and stuff. They started out as a bad guy faction on a D&D campaign I ran um, called the Rune Knights of Runeguard, but effectively Obsidia would come out a left field. They're kind of like a third faction in whatever like goes on elsewhere, basically. Mm-hmm. And they are loaded to the brim with like grunts with steampunk slash diesel punk like tech, which basically puts them in a kind of interesting situation where you have all this magic and fantasy stuff going on, but you have these guys with like raw, like figured out science and it's like, oh, okay. Like imagine like your your standard like Viking shield wall going up against um going up against like a like a light gatling gun. That's like that's terrifying. That's like that's something that you bit, really need to think just, about. Just a bit terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's like you've seen Gate, right? Yes. Yes I have. That that pretty much sums up uh, Obsidia basically. <laughs> You know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. And and, and hearing obviously that like it it, it spawned from a D and D campaign as well. Like that's the thing that I I love and appreciate when it comes to like tabletop RPGs and stuff like that. Because it's not the first time we've brought up tabletop RPGs and D and D on this podcast. I've had several guests before that that get a lot of inspiration from that. So I have to ask you, obviously, what was it about like D and D and this campaign that you're talking about that really inspired you to go from like oh this is a fun little faction to this could be like the foundation for an incredible idea. I think it would be safe to say that when it comes to eyes, I think half of the motivation is definitely finding people to take interest in what's being made. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I was already like, you know, j- just so I could like get my street cred out there. I, I did have a whole, I, I still have like a whole Twitch channel. I still, I am still a forever DM. I, I still, you know, go on my way. It was very expressive. So what I, what it mostly was was the fact that I think I got carried away in designing the law and the mythos of this nation to the okay. point, it, like here's the thing: I, I come from the UK, all right, and in the UK we had a thing called the um, called the British Empire and everything, mm-hmm. and it was this um, like this large like force that kind of like you know touched various points of the globe and everything. And I was thinking, <laughs> I, may, I may have heard of it here and there here in America. I think I, I heard it in passing somewhere, but um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So, so, so <laughs> effectively, 
I wanted to take the Arthurian legend because that's like old school British mythology, like era kind of stuff. And I thought, what could I do to like kind of tether tether this nation into what it's about, but in a fantasy context. And so we have this, we had this like this dynasty in the Obsidian Archives called House Pendragon. They right. actually, you know, they they actually survived like the Battle of Camland, but at like a great cost. And it's about it's kind of like the idea of taking and regurgitating external cultures for like min maxing, but it asks philosophical questions about yo, could that be too much? Could that be um could that kind of defeat the point of what a culture is supposed to be to begin with, you know? Um is thing like I can't go into details on how like you know th- like the family kind of like branches out and everything, but so far what we have been covering is the origin story of Mordred's son Milan, who does get like mentioned a few times in some bits of um, Arthurian media, but never quite gets fleshed out because they go, oh, you know, it's uh, it's Mordred's kids. They're like probably like you know fleeing the country or whatever because X, Y, Z, and they. They, they they don't say anything more that I'm like, dude, like exiled like print stories are like actually very fascinating. Uh it's it's always a very large gambit. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't usually work out or they end up becoming puppet rulers to some other regime. But yeah. like But like just in general, I wanted to tell a very like interesting story from that angle. The fact that someone is related to both one of the greatest heroes and greatest like villains of um British mythology of all time, it, it must, I mean, it must be like some sort of deranged burden almost. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say, like, I love how you talked about like the, the, the puppet, you know, dictator or something like that. Cause I, there's another podcast that I listen to, uh, the lines led by donkeys podcast. Uh, they talk about just like, military mistakes like just all around the world like you know mm-hmm. like oh this part you know the, these you know this faction or you know this military like tried to roll into this place and they were completely unprepared or stuff like that you know i'm pretty sure they've talked about at least like the the emu revolution in australia at least once or something like that but um no, oh, like, yeah. but like I, the the puppet dictatorship or whatnot that's something they've also talked about just having like you know I, th- I think it was either them or a different podcast that talked about like Napoleon the third and like how he he butchered the, the the French government or whatnot you know trying to trying to rule that one you know considering the fact that he was a descendant of the original Napoleon obviously yeah so, but and like in the real world context yeah exile princess it's very hit or miss on how interesting they can be but like especially in a fantasy context like what you're talking about like an exile prince like that is like the the motivation for like lord knows what sort of unprecedented power and like scorch earth that could potentially come upon like those that exiled him in the first place like that is always like an intriguing story that people can easily latch on to i i think as well and this is going to be a very like interesting concept. I want to play around with the notion that usually in a fantasy story, you usually get some evil force, and then you usually get "quote unquote" a chosen one. Mm-hmm. You know that that's kind of a trope. But what what I want to play is, you know, what happens if like you know everything is sort of all right with the world, maybe a little bit. Um, I'm trying try to find the right phrase because here's the thing. It's very hard to talk about the Obsidian Archives without it getting, like, way too political because it's a very um, historical, you know, there's a lot of medieval intrigue, people have their own agendas and stuff. 
um, I, I would say, like, imagine, you know, you live in a nice, like, peaceful world, mm. uh, maybe a little bit corrupt in some areas, maybe a little bit, like, neoliberal, but, like, oh, you know, okay, you know what I mean? You you could, you know, if you're lucky, you could, you, could, you know, have, have a family, whatever. But let's say that in your fantasy universe, your chosen one has been severely betrayed and by some happenstance survived long enough to exact a horrific vengeance and that the universe itself has been almost bent like a red carpet for this to happen. That's terrifying. That That is... (laughs) That is like... It's it's almost like... You've seen Overlord, right? Actually, I don't think I have. I can't say I have. Oh, okay. All right. So imagine this. So like when people write fan fiction, all right, they're usually guilty of doing a thing of designing a Gary Stu or a Mary Sue. They go in, they make a character, they're a little bit too overpowered or they're a little bit too good at everything or everything gets astroturfed a little too quickly. There's no conflict. There's no struggle. There's no growth, which, you know, characters have. But here's the thing. Overlord basically cured that problem straight up. What they've done is they introduced this Gary Stewart. Like, oh, my God, you know, he's overpowered. He's, he's terrifying as this. But then you notice that the camera begins to steer away from him. And then you begin to realise it, it isn't even about him, but it's about everyone else having to put up with him existing mm-hmm. and all, all the buttering and the dread. And, the, oh, no, he's coming. Oh, what do we do? We need a... Oh, don't worry, my army would... Oh, they're already dead. Oh, crap. Like, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's... It's that it's that sense of dread, which I think is, it's it's a flavor of storytelling that doesn't get touched upon enough, and it's something that I really want to try and like harness to a certain degree. Okay, maybe the army like really because here's the thing: you noticed. Um, I don't know if you have noticed, but like you know how like Tarek is kind of obsessed and kind of focused on the whole like Pendragon side of things. But you notice that the other storytellers they're like focused on these other people, and you begin to notice like there's different perspectives to this story that kind of needs like diving in. And then you begin to have a better sense of what like the character Amelan actually means in this universe on an external, like I, I could like take the protagonist and I could, I could kind of rip them out the story just to allow, you know, a better understanding of what it means for someone to exist. Basically. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not only giving context to the person of, uh, to the viewers of like what exactly is going on, but also giving you an idea of like the personal agendas for whoever's telling that story as well. Exactly. I, I think, I think my biggest hurdle was going to be having a legitimate, uh, unreliable narrator i hear a lot of people mm. talk about it a lot but nine times out of this i go oh he's an unreliable narrator as in he's an unreliable person but all his narration is 100 percent true and i'm like oh well gee whiz that's uh, a pretty reliable mm. unreliable narrator you know what i mean it's um, a certain level of um I, I have a certain level of frustration with that and i feel like i need to not repeat that sin and actually start incorporating ways to deceive the viewer almost have them go Oh, you know what I mean? When something counters something else that's been stated, basically, you know? Absolutely. Uh, it, it it just always leads me back to, to another, to like statements when you were talking about, you know, uh, 
like dictatorships stuff like that or like you know the, the like the puppet dictatorships and like you know military just military in general like it's usually the victors that are always the ones that are able to tell the story of what happened exactly or and not give you like all the different aspects of like obviously the people that they affected more than anything else so it's like you know with with the narrators that you're talking about like yeah they might be telling the truth but it's their truth because they're technically the ones that are thriving in this point or whatnot that makes them unreliable it's not the full story it's just their perspective of that's exactly that's also kind of why I, I i i use kind of like different styles and like each uh like story cluster just to kind of give it a sense that you're reading the book but a different illustrator was hired to illustrate the book in question so mm-hmm. it feels like the art matches the mindset of the author even though i mean it's all written by me but like because it's because a lot of it is based upon tapes and books like in universe it makes sense like if you look really carefully when Tarek holds up the book if you squint really really hard you get a few pixels and it usually says by and then there's like a name but like each time like the name's like a different person like, okay so this was written by this person so this is probably the way they interpreted the story you know yeah yeah it's it's certainly a, a unique take more than anything else instead of just like telling a single cohesive story that gets all the parts in or whatnot and everyone's perspective or whatnot like you're essentially like doing a new story every single time when you're doing this like little cluster or whatnot even though it's all technically like the same story just uh obviously a different way a different perspective it's like you said like even though you're writing all of it it's almost as if you become a different person for every cluster yeah that that's definitely uh like a way in in looking at it i think as well um i like I, I like to treat it almost like your the viewer isn't in the time period of Milan's area and like D, but like this is the closest they're gonna get to knowing what they were up to, what were they like doing, and, and like you, you always have this like sense of how how much of this is like can I really be assured with? You know, it's um. Because at the moment we we don't even know who the viewer is either. That like, is true. There's been that a few. <laughs> there's some there's some clues, but like you know nothing concrete yet. It's very um, it's very uh, intrigue heavy. Absolutely. I mean that's something that even just like glancing at it, I've noticed just like that that that's something that just like intrigued me more than anything else. Just like the different ways you've been able to to tell this story as you know as you can. Uh, as you're illustrating or whatnot. And like, honestly, even hearing you now, like how you're going forth with this, I just got to say, that's just brilliant more than anything else, how you're executing this more than anything else. Like it's, it's impressive to say the least, like trying to, trying to provide, obviously like almost giving the viewer like the ultimatum of like, which story are you going to believe? Which one do you think is actually telling the truth or whatnot at the end of the day? When in reality, like, it's all the truth, but at the same time, it's also, like, their truth, not the absolute truth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, I, I, obviously, we're already deeply into this conversation when it comes to the Obsidian Archives, but, you know, I should have probably asked this sooner. For people who have gotten to this point and have no idea what in the world we are talking about, how would you describe the Obsidian Archives for those that may not have seen it before now? The Obsidian Archives is an animatic fantasy anthology series chronicling the historical events of a figure named Milan Pendragon who makes a Faustian bargain with a short little she-demon known as Zeria and 
she's followed around by an even more annoying and even shorter, like, hairy demon known as D, who is literally a punching bag slash comedic relief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know my little my little shorthand of getting to indulge myself into this. D is certainly the one that I can't help but laugh at every time I see them. Just <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, it's... <laughs> Their, their profession back in the underworld was known as a P imp, which mm. is just uh, it's, it's just code for pimp. But yeah. like he's an imp, you know, it's, it's clever puns. Um, but like I, I, I like it's just this. But his thing, um, he starts off as this like big scary demon, uh, but because of like you know he he's uh, kind of like ran headfirst into like like Milan and he just straight up like drops a. Sh- silver chandelier on him he he ends up having to you know resort to being in this more agile small little imp form where he's usually like tossed around put in a cage and he like he, he's really angry and begrudging against like Milan and like every time he has he either like tries to hurt their feelings or like s- says some really obscene jokes at their expense and it's, it's it's almost like a court gesture at this point yeah yeah I was gonna say like for those who haven't seen it just basically imagine if Stitch from Leo and Stitch was created by 20th century fox more than anything else uh, oh yeah no that, that 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 more or less sums him up definitely absolutely i i have to know like especially like these intriguing characters that you've more or less developed or whatnot like especially milan and uh and Zeria, how did you come up with these characters in the first place like what was the foundation for them and what made you want to present them as like the main focal point for this series for these archives so the development took a little while, right? But mm-hmm. basically, have you have you seen the show Disenchanted or Disenchantment or whatever they call it? Yeah, I, I've seen a few episodes of it. I need to divulge more to it, especially like the first season or whatnot. But I, I am aware of it and I know like just how unique those characters are in that show. <laughs> so usually whenever I write a series, the central nuclei is always, um, I always design a shipping kind of around that universe, mm-hmm. all right? Um, in the case for the obscene archives, I is being I watched a bit of Disenchantment and I, I I noticed that like there was like this prince character and he was kind of like hang out with this like fairy a lot mm-hmm. and I I, I kind of got to the point where I was thinking what what if I told like a a, a Peter Pan esque kind of story. But instead of it being about uh, like a boy who like never grew up, it was more about like a man who grew up a little too fast and kind of like took a very mature burden-esque kind of mentality. And he like the only source of anything that's like keeping him going, ironically, is like he he realizes it isn't even the crown or his mother's wishes but the fact that you have this like demon who is infatuated with him and he like begins to like kind of like soften up and try and re- rediscover his more moral roots in an ironic sense. I, I, I kind of did get that, like the vibe, at least the first half you're talking about of like the boy that kind of had to grow up a little too quickly or whatnot when it comes to, to Milan, like seeing how you've been able to, to present him so far or whatnot. And like that, mm-hmm. especially now hearing that obviously like having that like foundation with the uh, disenchanted and, um and like that, the reverse Peter Pan in a way or whatnot, like that's a good foundation more than anything else that I'm surprised more people haven't taken advantage of when it comes to some of these characters. Oh yeah, like is a big okay. Um, 
I think I think Del Toro also kind of like like talked about the subject when he was like trying to make his like I mean I say try he won an Oscar and made Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does one try. <laughs> no, I tell you. Um, basically, to be fair, this is a bit post hawk because obviously the Obsidian Archive kind of came out like you know before like his whole like Pinocchio thing was even like in development and all that. But what I liked was the fact that he took the whole Germanic fairy tale and he deconstructed it in a way that was like... Because these fairy tales are mostly designed to make kids grow up, mm. while his Pinocchio is is kind of like a semi-inversion of it. It's more like, hey, don't get me wrong, you should listen to your parents, but don't like, you know, kind of go like goose step, you know, across France or something, you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. So basically with Milan... He he has put on the entire mentality of the responsibilities of lordship and kingship, but the problem is it also it kind of opens you up to making some very horrific choices, mm-hmm. and it's um, he he definitely needs someone to lion him up basically. Right, right, yeah. I mean, especially you know, at, at least at this point, being exiled, kind of having the 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 king without the throne or whatnot, and having that kind of responsibility or burden upon him more than anything else to like uphold that. Like I can only obviously like you've illustrated a little bit, but like how taxing that can be on him and having to to take on all that. Like more than anything else, like emotionally has to like crush him sometimes. Absolutely. I if you notice every time he's ever killed anyone on screen. There's always been some pretext, whether it's been uttered by himself or just visually, just by looking. It's like I, I try my best not to have him like go like full monster without pretext. Right. I, I feel like it's it's very important because if, if I just have him like awkwardly, like I mean, just getting on a horse and just immediately like you know strike it down. Oh no, this this mother and a child running. Oh, actually, I mean, like that's that's just straight up unrelatable. Yeah. But if you have like a if you have a maid who literally, like, nearly kills him and stabs him in the eye and everything, I'm like, yo, go to town. Holy yeah, crap, do yeah. it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference between malicious intent and self-defense, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, I don't... Have you made it to uh, episode three of The Imp and the Prince? I don't think I have. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, won't, I won't spoil it. Watch it. There, there's a very, very interesting scene that happens right in the middle that okay. really... But it basically kind of sets uh, his alignment on the alignment scale on, like, you know, table RPG talk and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fair. That's understandable. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, like, the tabletop RPG aspect of it. Because, obviously, like we illustrated before, like, this was a, a foundation from a, a D&D campaign or whatnot. I just have to know, like, when it comes to just tabletop RPGs or whatnot, how was that more or less, like, a foundation for, like, creativity for you in the first place? I grew up watching a lot of Harmon Quest. Okay. Yeah, okay, so like Dan Harmon, he had his little podcast. He had, he had, yeah. he had like one or two friends of his. They they would they turned it into like a very interesting show where they would get like bring a lot of like um, like celebrity guest cameos. And basically, when I saw the amount of creativity they were able to get away with, and the way they kind of got a little bit postmodern with the um, with the fantasy genre, it it did kind of inspire me. Go oh my god, I could like totally entertain people while also having them have stakes in the story of which is being told. And like for a good year and a half, I was like doing a whole streaming um, thing on my Twitch, which was the Runic Knights of Rune Guard, which 
you know, kind of like gave birth to this subsidiary idea later down the line, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, here you are, like, you know, quite some time later, and you've already developed like a good foundation and some incredible storytelling that you're already illustrating uh, and animating, which I have to ask also as well, like, obviously, when it comes to, you know, translating TTRPG to like traditional storytelling there are many different mediums i mean you talked about harman quest or whatnot the fact that you know it was a podcast and then animated series what made you want to tell this story why animated in particular like was there a particular reason why you felt like animated was the 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 way to go to tell this story i think what it ultimately was was i saw a lot of um ar args at the time Mm -hmm. and at a certain point i felt what if i told a story that was more like an internalized rabbit hole almost something that you don't i mean it is recommended you watch the imp and the prince before like going like elsewhere like around the series but what if i went full like jigsaw style mcu kind of clusters of packets of information so if i have a creative vibe i could just go in make like a short 10 minute video covering a theme a topic a group of characters but with a much larger umbrella context so it, it's almost like rewarding seeing each bit and how it slowly uh interconnects so to speak absolutely i mean like that's something that i, I was impressed with just like the amount of characters and the amount of like stories you're able to tell again all central around this idea of you know obviously the the imp and the prince or whatnot but like even then like the different stories you've been able to tell the the different aspects and different uh versions of the story they've been able to ask to to tell and come going to the characters or whatnot like another thing i've got to commend you on is the voice acting you've been able to bring on for this stuff you have brought on some inc- like incredible like voice acting like convincing stuff like that like how important was it for you as well to make sure you get like the proper voice actor to to, to tell this story oh it was a very very important i i usually visit um the casting call like website when i do this thing but sometimes i also scout around like twitter etc mm-hmm. um basically when I was trying to cast like Milan, um, I eventually hired a guy called um, called like Will, and he he was really really like almost on point with um, with this like anime character from um, Tiger and Bunny. There was like this guy, but he has a kind of oh, I talk like this, and you know it, it's it's that ye old like like British like accent, and I think it really it's it's that level of articulation that really kind of like sets him apart because like. Design-wise, Milan has a certain like genericness about him, while also having a few very slight um, identifiers. But it it, it definitely ham- so I'm getting off topic though. Um, <laughs> I am hammering home the point that Milan is ironically just a guy, but it's this just the guy thing that um, kind of lays down the subtext for the larger story later on though right. uh, i hear a lot of historians talk about that with various different individuals and like like being careful where to put your like heroism onto basically yeah exactly like you know people have that like instant visual idea of like you know someone with like the rock physique coming in like and saving the day or whatnot when sometimes it's the person you least expect that is slowly plotting up like the perfect way to make sure that they can have that power 
Yeah, like Stalin was a very big like usurper, like straight up. Like he, yeah, I mean, he was just some dude who was like in and out of Russia quite a lot, and eventually he just caught up with a bunch of um, ideologues, and it just kind of spiraled out of control until eventually it it just kind of fell in his lap, and it was very, it was very kind of terrifying. Like like if you if you hear his mannerisms, this isn't like. This isn't like some guy who was like destined to rule. This was literally some guy with a few speaking impediments and a few like messed up family dynamics. And he, he just, it was just location, 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 you know? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I was gonna say, you said Russian, like uh, uh, Stalin or whatnot. I'm sorry. I, again, another podcast I listened to or whatnot, uh, talked about like Stalin's daughter, like getting out of Russia and then going into like a commune or whatnot. And then getting out of that, going back to, it's a whole story. Um, Svetlana, oh, Svetlana, man. Yeah. Svetlana, 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 if you guys have, want to hear it, it's a great, like, I think it's like eight part, 10 part series or whatnot. Really interesting stuff, but no, like I feel like translating that kind of aspect or whatnot of like, you know, the guy that you more or less like is the most with some variation, obviously when it comes to, to Milan or whatnot, but like having more or less like the normal guy being the one that the people least expect or whatnot. That's again, it's smart. Like when it comes to the storytelling, you'd be able to tell when it comes to the obsidian archives. I just have to say, especially like with what I have seen and then what you're talking about now, like brilliant is probably not even the, 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 not enough words to talk about like just how much time and effort I can tell you put into this project. I can't help but commend you for it. Thank you so much. This has really been a really huge, like passion project. And it's like, it is, it's, it's still funded. It's done with a lot of passion and love. I still have like documents in Google docs that have yet to be like, you know, released in like animation form. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a wild ride. I, I think the only thing, that I have a bit of like dismay for is the fact that uh, the YouTube algorithm is a really, really hard thing to climb. It is. It really is. It really is. That's the thing that, I mean, with the podcast, like I, I've experienced that at times or whatnot. I mean, there have been times where I've been obviously lucky enough to have like the right person at the right place at the right time or whatnot. But there's also sometimes where yeah. like I could push something out that I'm really proud of and like maybe 10 people watch it. Yeah, that as well. Like, fortunately, watching a lot of ARGs have kind of raised my confidence in the sense that these are very small, close-knit, like, communities. And I managed to, like, raise one on Discord. And, like, like I tell you, some of the responses were, like, like really, like, touching, especially with the release of the, uh, the Amar Shaitan video. That mm. one, like, it was in development hell for so long. But to, <laughs> like... To hear them literally say, like, describe Milan as like, like, like pure lawful evil. It's like, yes, they, they, they basically like hit the nail on the head, like, perfectly almost. Absolutely, and I was gonna say, speaking of YouTube, that kind of leads into more or less like the next question as well, or at least like the next little comment. I have to commend you because as we're recording recently, you've gladly, you've thankfully been able to hit the thousand subscriber mark. I can't help but commend you for it. More than anything else. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much. I have to extend part of the thanks to um, to Kibbs. He kind of gave me like the biggest um, boost initially. Because this thing, I started off at like a small um, 200, 300. And then it basically doubled over the span of like two, two to three weeks or whatever. Like I had an interview with him. A lot mm -hmm. of people like, 
you know, found out, found out about it, and it like it really, like yo, Kibs, if by some miracle you are watching this, like <laughs> like many many thanks, man. Hey, it just it just goes to show that if you you know get yourself out there and you put yourself on you know other platforms and other podcasts stuff like that, Lord knows the kind of growth you could potentially get. Just saying. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. I was going to say, like, I mean, to be fair, like, I know exactly how you're kind of feeling with that kind of stuff, because that's more or less like the foundation when it comes to this podcast, but in reverse somehow, because like I bring on people and I hope that like some of the people from that community, like, are willing to stay around and stuff like that. And I have to give major props to, what was it, Dubis Goobis uh, a while back, like his episode was the episode that got me from 600 subs to over a thousand subs and like, Oh, not even a week. Like, so I, I know. Yeah. Like that. So I know that kind of feeling of like, you know, just having, finding that proper person to more or less give you that little additional boost and get you to that, that threshold that, you know, is a, mm. a achievement on its own. But I imagine now that you've at least got to a thousand, like obviously, as I can tell from what you've been able to do, there's no slowing down anytime soon when it comes to the Obsidian Archives. Like, just because you hit that thousand, you can't just be like, all right, I'm done. Go home. That's it. That's it. So I, at, I uh, go on. Okay. So at the moment, I'm, I'm in a bit of a, a, of a silly pickle, basically. I have like two, like about four different animators making things, but the irony is, like all four of them aren't like close to being finished on Wednesday. So it's going to be a bit of a skip thing. And usually that's usually when like YouTube kind of swoops and goes, aha, irrelevant, gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's tragic. I didn't realize that. Cause I released my episodes on Thursday, so I'm probably doing it all wrong anyways. Um, <laughs> but no, but I mean, nevertheless, like I, I, I'm looking more like long-term when it comes to this question or whatnot, but when it comes to the obsidian archives, what should the people expect from it? So what they should expect from it? Oh my God! There's a storm. I don't know if you could hear it. Like, I think I think I heard it for like a half a second. I heard like a, a little rumble in the background. But we can also spend is that there's a storm coming when it comes to this story. You guys oh. are not ready for what you're about to be hit with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. So so what they should like expect is I'm basically going to be doing everything like my darndest to um, flesh out the video clusters. All right. So basically any intros from a character or whatever there will be a video coming out that'll um, you know flesh out one or two of the stories that are like kind of like not filled in i usually do them in clusters of three mm-hmm. so like you meet a narrator they like, oh uh pick around you know like that and you youtube's little video thing comes up but um effectively what you should expect is more new characters more new laws some further explanations on various different um passing talk what i like to do is i like to have characters refer to things that you don't get to physically see just so it goes oh who's this guy who's that guy they're mentioning this thing i haven't seen them yet but it it, it, it's hype generation you know it it makes sure that there's a world outside the world that's being presented if that makes sense no i I, yeah exactly like more or less like causing more of an intrigue for the audience to wonder like what is going on Exactly. Um, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a spoiler spoiler, but uh, there is a character that will be mentioned at some point called uh, Leroy, who's going to like kind of fit into like D's dynamic a lot more. That's going to be very interesting. I'm sorry. I have a smile on my face because I hear fantasy element. I hear Leroy in my in the internet brain in me in the back of my head thinks of that 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 classic clip of Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> 
Oh man. Um, yeah. I, I, ironically, he was not the inspiration for me, like like writing up the that's character. Fa- that, but, that's fair. Yeah. I, I, like I said, that's just internet brain and me being like, oh mm. dear god, that classic clip. <laughs> but it, it's it's a true classic. It is a classic. But nevertheless, like you know, hearing that obviously, like I said, you're not slowing down anytime soon, and like especially hearing like this this character that you're teasing or whatnot, and getting us more of a, an insight when it comes to them. I I am intrigued to say the least. I certainly cannot wait to see what's next. I mean, like I imagine, obviously, I'm not the only one. Again, we talked about the fact that you've you got the thousand threshold. You're slowly like promoting yourself out there. You're getting your name out there. You know, the stories you're telling are compelling, and people are clinging on to it one way or another. Like thinking back to just your, not just the the journey with Obsidian, but like the the art journey you've been on as a whole, even back with the the SFM days or whatnot. Does it amaze you how far you've been able to come along as an artist? I think so, yeah. I mean, a lot of it has been like picking up one toy, putting it down and picking up another. But like in general, like, you know, building a rapport and like these connections, I think really does like speed things up in certain sectors. Absolutely. I mean, like, again... I can't help but commend you on the work you've been able to, to put in this kind of stuff and obviously the stories you've been able to tell. I'd like I that's that's one of the major reasons why I wanted to bring you on more than anything else to have you talk about this kind of stuff because I could tell there's a a lot of love and passion behind these stories and a lot of like creativity really flowing from this. So like it, it, if this is the toy that hopefully you're gonna be sticking with for a while or whatnot, I'll grab a similar toy and I'll play it with you to make sure that you keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, man. Absolutely. I I mean. You know, obviously we've been talking, you know, when it comes to just the incredible projects you have been able to create so far. But for this next question, if I may, I want to go a little bit above and beyond, if I may, and give you more or less the dream scenario. Samuel, let's say I am Big Shot Mr. Moneybags. I come to you like, look, Samuel, we can tell there is a lot of incredible stuff right there, a really good foundation for some incredible stuff. I mean, we see Milan in the first place and we know there's something, there, there's something hiding there. We know that there's something incredible. We just want to give you that, you know, additional push to make sure that you can go above and beyond, whether it be with this or just your creativity in general. We have access to anyone and everyone in whatever industry possible and more money than it should be possible. We could probably be making sure that so many of these writers that are probably about to be going on strike or have gone on strike at this point, make sure they're compensated, stuff like that. But we'll focus on that in a little bit. Right now, we are focusing on you and you alone. If given this opportunity, what would be the Dream Samuel project? I'd say the Dream project would definitely be the Obsidian Archives becoming some sort of either HBO or like Amazon, like animated, like series. Mm-hmm. I think this, this is a story that could definitely touch upon a lot of uh, modern zeitgeist um, stuff without it being like preachy or anything. I think it could definitely hum- humanize a lot of the components like at play almost. I mean, I, I think I think the best way to describe it is the fact that it's meant to dissect the way people view the concept of nostalgia and history, but in a way that's both sober but also not like not going like lockstep like too too hard or whatever. Like like it it's it's more about like understanding. It it's more about uh like like understanding the forces and like the economy and stuff but in a very um you know interesting and um game of thrones-esque kind of way basically Mm 
I mean, I certainly think if given the opportunity with the proper funding, the proper team behind it or whatnot, not saying that your team is bad, but like more of a, a reinforcement of that team more than anything else to really provide oh, yeah. like the, the, the true vision that you want for this. Like, I certainly think it has legs that, you know, people could cling on to like a Game of Thrones or something like that, especially with some of the elements that you've introduced. I, I, I think that would be money well spent more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But... Sadly, we gotta get down from the dream scenario. We gotta get back to reality and snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. <laughs> and I'll ask the ever so generic question: Where do you hope to see yourself, say, five to ten years from now? Uh, five to ten years from now, I hope this project, um, you know, is 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 still going and is actually. Uh, gonna enter like a little bit more of the um like green in terms of structure we've just um i opened up a patreon and all that jazz we already got like a you know a few like solid people you know like showing their support and everything mm -hmm. uh if we're if we're lucky this could be like a like a, like an ongoing like thing you know like it's, it's all about the um it's all about the franchise and investment etc well there you go there you go i sincerely hope you get to that that point as well i i, I sincerely do um as we start to wind down the interview, Samuel, I just have one last question I want to ask you. Um, obviously, you've been deeply entrenched in art and animation, especially nowadays. How important is art, not just for you, but for the world as a whole? I think, I think art is very important, especially. It, it's kind of interesting because it's it's like a it's like it's like a two-way mirror you have the artist and they want to go out and make that thing you know on the flip side there's a person who is an artist but also wants to in in a very figurative sense uh consume the art you know not not with like salt and pepper but with their eyes you know mm -hmm. and i i think art has definitely like influenced people in various ways actually I, I think in this like modern day, I think it we have full on proved that art absolutely like influences people. You you could like flip open TikTok and you would have people acting in various ways that are very indicative that they must have like saw something somewhere else and kind of enter the state of monkey see monkey do. Mm -hmm. I saw someone like get pulled out of detention straight up saying, uh, I don't have to listen to you. You are the beta and I am the alpha Chad. It's like, oh my God, he's basing, he, he's basing his demeanor on a meme, dude. Basically, memes are art, straight up. Yeah, they are. They are. Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness. But nevertheless, like just, just that same as a whole, that is a, that is a wonderful way to word it if I do say so myself. Uh, that is all the questions I have for you, Samuel. Um, obviously, I've showered you with a whole bunch of praise up at this point, but I'm going to shower you with a little bit more because it's my podcast. I do what I want. Um, sure thing. <laughs> Sam, ever since you really uh, came up to me and asked me about being on the podcast or whatnot, ever since I really got to, to indulge myself into some of your work or whatnot, like, I've been nothing short of impressed, especially knowing that like for a lot of this stuff, like this is – this is truly you coming out more than anything else, seeing what you've been able to produce, the, the stories you've been able to, to develop, and especially having you here on the podcast, hearing what you've been able to, hearing the time and effort you've put into this, hearing everything that you, you're putting forth or whatnot. And like, once again, the brilliant way that you're trying to tell this story and create a different experience that people can easily cling on, that can hopefully cling on to one way or another. Like, 
it has me nothing short of hopeful for what will happen next because I know, especially now that you're really getting yourself out there, now that you're really trying to do what you can to to really get the Obsidian Archives out there and for people to truly love it. Like, I I think you have something incredible, like, right here on hand. I, I mean, the the characters, I, I, I the, like, you know, Milan and Zyria and D, like, at least those is the main, like, having the narrators, all the different people involved or whatnot. Like, you have something truly incredible and truly gifted here that I think people should really have an opportunity to cling on to more and more. And I sincerely hope as you keep going forward, as you're able to to tell these stories and tell all these different aspects or whatnot, like, I I hope that more people are able to get on board and truly, 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 like, show a lot of that love and support back to you. Uh, for everything that you put into us. The, the long and the short of it is, Samuel, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for really putting yourself out there in the first place for as long as possible. And I I will sincerely be rooting for you to keep going forward and keep creating this incredible tale. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you so much. It, it really it really means a lot, like like the the affection that you have shown like during this um, podcast. It's, it's really been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and if, it, and if it makes you feel any better, I promise I'm going to go full in, go through every single episode of, uh, of the Obsidian Archives, and really give myself like a true deep dive into this oh, stuff. Because I, I must warn I, you, it gets dark. It gets really dark. <laughs> I, I warn you. Like, look, look, I'm on Twitter every single day. Okay, I know what dark looks like. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. <laughs> no, no. Like, th- I I appreciate the content warning and whatnot, but like again, like again, just even with like the the little glance of what i've been able to have right now like i can tell there are some intriguing stuff and i definitely want to divulge myself more into that into that world into that atmosphere into those characters and see where it could where what you've been able to develop so far and where it can go next because i really do like again just from the taste alone i really do want to cling on to it more and really do want to, to to love it more than i already have absolutely this sounds like really exciting like like who knows like this might like really wow you like from here you know oh absolutely i mean i'm i i don't doubt that it's not gonna wow me in one way or another especially after our conversation today it's going to wow me i know it will uh but if you want to wow some of the other people that might be listening to this episode go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home oh yeah of course so you could find us on the Obsidian Archives on YouTube and you could find Team Obsidia on Twitter. We also have a Patreon, which is also labeled The Obsidian Archives. Hopefully on the video version, you should see a uh, you know link on board. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm being a bit meta there. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, if you miss anything, uh, you know, not only is it the link on board, it'll be the link down below in the description. So I got you covered with all that. Um. <laughs> I.S. Vadoobly-doo. There you go. There you go. Um, do you have any final words before we sign off? Do what makes you passionate and try and like find a way to do it for as long as possible. There you go. That is wonderfully worded. A wonderful way to end it. With all that, all I have left to say is for the people at home, hasta luego, amigos.
thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If this is your first time listening, I greatly do appreciate it. Like I said in the intro, Samuel was someone that was gracious enough to introduce himself to me, and I have been considering having him on ever since he introduced me, mainly because of the concept that he's been brewing up with the Obsidian Archives. I thought it was truly unique in the fact that it's... Well, I mean, he has a team making this stuff, but like he's leading the charge. He's taking the initiative to make this thing a reality. I mean, I couldn't help but you know not bring him on the podcast. So, Samuel, if you've made it this far... Thank you so much for taking the time to do this, and thank you so much for getting me acquainted with you in the first place. Um, I, I would dead serious when I say that I wish nothing but the best for the Obsidian Archives. Because I know you got something truly incredible there, and I mean, especially just based on our conversation alone, that there's, there's a lot of potential of some incredible stuff, and I know you can go far with this. Uh... Yeah, I always try to have that same kind of hope with like my own stuff, you know, trying to find a way to improve and find a way to really grow it a lot more. Um, I took a big step forward in doing that this past week. Uh, if you've paid attention, I've finally gotten around to making shorts like I should have because I've been seeing everywhere about how podcasts get uber amounts of freaking uh, like attention just based on the clips alone. Um, so I knew it was only a matter of time before I just got going. I just needed to find that, like, motivation to do so. I, I'll be honest with you guys. Sometimes it gets really hard to do this. <laughs> like, it gets really hard to, like, push forward and, and, like, create sometimes and, like, attempt to. Heck, I, at the time that I'm recording this, I literally just got done with an 11-hour shift at my IRL job. I have 45 minutes to finish up what I'm doing, and I have to go to bed and go to work early for another potential 11-hour day. But that's why I wanted to create this podcast, because I got that like consuming my life, and I don't want it to. This is the one thing that I love, and I... Well, not the one thing, but this is... This is my biggest point of pride right here. You know, being able to create this kind of presence and grow it as much as I have. To the point to where I want to start, like, branching out and doing other, like, creative ventures as well. Not abandoning this, obviously. But, like, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Like, helping out Tipsy with the evil little thing. Which, by the way, reminder, uh, this weekend... Actually, the weekend that this released or whatnot, the 6th and the 7th? I think it's the 6th and the 7th. Anyways, uh, artskink uh, twitch.tv slash artskink, we are raising money to help get the evil little thing going, uh, especially to fund the pilot. We really do need your help. We would greatly appreciate it. Even if you just show up and say hi and then share the word about it to get other people potentially involved, that's all we're asking for. That's all we need, more than anything else. Um... Let's see, I mean, on top of that, like, there's that, and I, I'll, I'll let you guys know a little secret. <clears throat> I'm slowly but surely trying to find some way to make other creative ventures with, you know, podcasts. I have a couple ideas in the works, and obviously whenever I get them solidified, you guys will be some of the first to know. But I've got some, I've, I've got some stuff brewing, and I sincerely hope you guys are gotta be along for the ride for that um because like this stuff is like 
truly the thing that keeps me going. This is the thing that I look forward to, to try to like do incredible stuff and creatively just, just get stuff going. And you guys allowing me the opportunity to do that week in and week out. I have nothing but love for you guys for giving that to me in the first place. And I sincerely hope that I, I don't disappoint. I sincerely hope that you guys want to keep coming back, want to keep showing that love and support, because I, I, I see it. I truly do. I see it, and I cannot get enough of it. And I, I'm rambling at this point, but I, I, long and short of it, thank you guys. Thank you guys for everything. Keep up that love and support, not just with me, but with other artists. Show every single artist, not every single artist, but show artists all the love that you can. You know, show show love to Samuel because he deserves it with how hard he's working on his stuff, all right? And he and his team are working on this stuff. Like, sincerely, sh- show love to, to all the artists that have been on the podcast. Just show that love. Show that love. 